Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Forever Student. Our aim is to provide you with the tools and resources to become the best version of yourself. Today, we have a guest that I've been wanting to get on the show for a while. His name is Tom Walker. Tom is a very well-rounded coach and athlete here in Dubai, who has an incredible passion for building and developing endurance athletes to unlock their full potential by getting fitter, healthier, and faster. Today, we talk about his journey as a professional athlete, some misconceptions about endurance sports, goal setting, staying consistent and committed, and much, much more. So off we go. Enjoy the episode. And so, Tom Walker, welcome to The Forever Student. Thank you. Happy to be here. Very excited to have you here. As I said, one of the big sort of changes in my life currently is that I am going to start training for a pretty massive race, um, 100K, that will take place in March of next year. I uh, selfishly wanted to bring you on to obviously ask you for a lot of advice, I suppose, and a lot of pointers. But another reason is that I know that a lot of listeners here have probably thought about getting into the world of whether it's endurance, whether they want to train for their first 10K marathon, cycle, swim, whatever it may be. And I know that you're an expert in all of those things. So where I wanted to start is first by asking you um, a bit more about your background. And then if you could touch on like how you got into this world of endurance and, and what attracted you to it. Sure. Yeah. So background would be, I guess, where I'm from, which is uh, West Wales, which is the country next to England. Uh, a little place called Pembrokeshire, which is really a beautiful place, very outdoors, very uh, very much in nature. And I think that's quite a big, well, it was a massive thing for me growing up that shaped to, to who I am today. So I'm very proud to be from there. Um, but I've not actually lived there since I was 18. Uh, when I was 18, I moved out to this region. I worked over in Abu Dhabi. And then I lived back in the UK for a couple of years while I was doing my sports science degree. Um, which once I achieved that, I then came back to Dubai and made it sound very, very simple. It's been a lot of different things along the way, um, but that is more or less my background. I've been that here now for four years with Inner Fight, and yeah, I'm an endurance coach for them. Could you talk a bit more about what Inner Fight is and like what you guys focus on particularly? Sure. So Inner Fight is is a big training company within Dubai, but we we also coach uh, athletes around the world. We started as a, a CrossFit gym uh, about 12 years ago now. And although we're still a gym in Dubai, we now have two sections. So there's the CrossFit side or the performance side, um, which is uh, still very much run how it used to be. So known for its really hard classes, but very purposeful programming and a, and a great community. And then around five, six years ago, the endurance side got set up. Um, and then a few years later, that's when I came into the role to build the endurance side of InnerFight, which we're sort of our slogan, our ethos is making people better at life through endurance. And we've grown slowly over the years. Um, some might say quickly, it feels slowly, but we've grown over the years. Um, we've got around seven coaches now as, as endurance coaches, and we have anywhere from around 350 to 400 athletes uh, and they're all training from anywhere from like 5Ks. We have a, a 5K, uh, 5K beginner program to uh, people who've just finished MDS. Uh, we've got people doing Ironmans, crazy challenges. We have a, such a big spectrum 
And so, yeah, we're, we're slowly turning into being a bit more of a brand, um, which has good things and, and bad things. We have two podcasts. Uh, we do apparel. We do a lot. And it's really exciting every day, something different. And I think probably in a fight means something different to the different kind of people that come through our door. Totally. And just to um, double click on you a little bit more, like how did you become interested in endurance specifically? And also like, have you always been an athlete? Because I think at least from my side, like for me, it was a pretty natural transition because I've always been a tennis, tennis player. I've always focused on fitness. And then like once you stop playing sport at a competitive level, uh, for me, running was sort of a natural second step. But what was that like for you? Yeah, I would say I've always been an athlete since um, since I was six. I've I, well, I did play uh, rugby, which is a, a, a big sport where I'm from. Um, but I also played other sports: tennis, cricket, uh, sailing. I did a lot of, and then because I lived in the middle of nowhere, I mean, we were constantly running outside, uh, riding bikes, doing all sorts of active things. I'd surf a lot after school. So I've always been really active, but rugby was my main sport. So it is endurance a little bit, but, but not typically endurance. And I used to hate the, the fitness testing and like the cross country and things was never really my, my bag. Like I much rather the skills work and things like that. But I stopped playing when I was 21 and kind of lost a little bit of identity in what sport was to me. And I was in a bit of a lull. Uh, and that's when I really start to learn more about like the gym and health around what exercise can be. And then I got a job in a bike shop um, and I started riding bikes. And then I started to learn about triathlon and then I started to run. And then I wanted to start doing triathlon. So I began swimming and that would have been in uh, 2011, 2012. And so since then, I've pretty much trained uh, specifically endurance. Okay. And what was it like for you? I mean, coming from Wales, obviously surrounded by green and nature and mountains and whatever else to coming to a place like, well, first Abu Dhabi and then Dubai, because I, I mean, I moved here when I was 14 from Holland and Holland as well. Like, you know, we go everywhere on the bike, everything was green, uh, always surrounded by nature. And it's something I feel like maybe we take for granted when you grow up there and then you move somewhere like Dubai and you're just in the middle of the desert. But I know that you go out a lot out of the city, uh, hiking and, and, and running trails and whatever else. Does that sort of, is that sort of your fix as well? Yeah. I, when I first moved over to this region, it, it was such a shock to me. I was only 18 and I was in Abu Dhabi and I actually was working um, for a hotel chain in Abu Dhabi and we were paid nothing because it was a very low level job. I was uh, a lifeguard and worked in the gym. So I literally was earning nothing, but it was a job away from what I was used to. And that's what I was excited about doing. So the fact of being in a city had a huge novelty to me. And uh, I didn't mind it at all, but it was only after about six months of living in a city that I realized how much I missed nature. Um, and yeah, I guess I learned a lot then that you have to learn where your mind can sort of escape. And that's forms of meditation, if you like. And you have it when you're living in somewhere that's very busy in terms of like greenery or mountains or woods, because you're constantly looking at it and you don't realize you're distracted by things. Whereas in a city, pretty much everything stays the same except the traffic and the people walking around you. So when I moved back to the region, which was going to be Dubai, I very much made a conscious effort that 
I really wanted to explore like what it had to offer outside of the cities. And I mean, I haven't been in a mall for maybe, honestly, I haven't been in a mall for like two years. <laughs> I really avoid them. I avoid downtown. Like I don't live anywhere near downtown. We live out near the Al-Qud recycling track. Um, I go out to the mountains a lot. Even in summer, we'll go and do trails and things because I learned myself that if I had to live in the city all the time, it would just drive me crazy. So yeah, I really do seek uh, just going out into nature and just watching things. I'm the kind of person who can, I can go on a whole day safari and still be interested at the end. Like I love watching things move and naturally happen. And, uh, and yeah, we have that in Dubai. People don't realize it, but we have it. You have to just drive probably more than an hour to go see it. Yeah, that's interesting. I think we all make we make Dubai or we make whatever city we live in our own, in our own way. And I think you've done a great job at like integrating what you wanted um, out of life into, into your daily life, which is super important. Um, transitioning into maybe a little bit about goal setting and your particular goals, like what are some current uh, goals that you're working on? What are some, maybe some recent races that you've done just to give people a bit more of an understanding of like, you know, who you are, um, and what you're working on. Yeah. I've just actually completed a five year long goal, which has been one hell of a journey to do. Um, it wasn't meant to be a five year long goal. It, it was meant to be a bit shorter, but it's, it's dragged out. And I've just finished that, which was getting a spot to go to the Ironman world championships. Um, and I just achieved that in South Africa, uh, must be three, four weeks ago now, which um, basically you have to podium in your age group within an Ironman triathlon. And I achieved that. Um, but along the way, I realized that I didn't actually want to go and race at a world championship. I just wanted to get the spot to show uh, to show to myself and, and others that I could. So that was an amazing goal that I never realized how much I would get from it uh, when I set it. But I'm really glad that I did set it. And along the way, of course, you've got to have some sub goals and and some smaller goals. So, um, I would set a lot of my goals based around races. Um, but over the years I've learned to change those a little bit, um, into being more around challenging myself, whether it's through a race or through some form of challenge. So currently, honestly, hand on heart, my only goal right now is to be healthy. And what that looks like to me is to not have any injuries and to be feeling energized throughout my day. And that's, we'll talk more about this, but that's a big part to endurance training that people probably don't understand is it's not necessarily healthy and, um, we can really run ourselves down pursuing pure endurance goals, which I have done for sure. So now I want to, I want to get better. I want to feel better. I don't want to be waking up feeling horrendous in the mornings. And I want to be able to go throughout my work day without big slumps of energy and, and that's actually a lot harder to do than it, than it seems. Um, but I do have one more race left uh, that's kind of pending, which is Ironman Portugal, which is in October. So I'll get healthy again now. And then 12 weeks out from Ironman Portugal, I'll kick back into training mode and then I'll race Portugal. And then after that, well, I'll reassess of what, what I want to do. But I have a long list of like challenges um, that I keep to myself because once you say them, you kind of feel more pressure, but things like FKTs of, uh, like fastest known times of, of some routes, um, some challenges like sort of cycling A to B points, 
uh, yeah, lots. And I'm also very open to to being in a position where if people want to do a crazy challenge and they think we need someone on our team who's who's pretty solid for this kind of stuff, I want to be in a position to say, yeah, I'm good to go. Totally. And okay, cool. Uh, firstly, I mean, I, I totally agree with the approach of keeping goals close to yourself. I think the only time you should announce your goals is if there's a big benefit to doing so. Like for me, for instance, one of the reasons I announced or I'm announcing that I'm doing this race, which is the only thing I will announce, is this accountability, right? Of people coming to you and being like, hey, so did you start training? Would you start doing that? And I want to always make sure that I'm like, yeah, I did. I'm doing it. I'm on my way to do it. Um, you talked a little bit about your goals. I want to ask you two questions. Question one is, how do you go about um, goal setting in the general sense? Because obviously, like if you're looking at, you know, doing a race, for instance, which which I really like doing, like I like looking at a, um, a race as a goal and then designing my days, weeks, life around that from all aspects. So from, from sleep to nutrition to hydration to training. Um, how do you go about that? And do you set goals for you know, different pillars in your life, or do you just maybe just focus on training? Yeah, I do. Um, obviously listeners can't see, but behind me is my whiteboard, which has, um, sort of life goals, business goals and, and, uh, racing goals on there. And so, yeah, I do set different goals in, in different pillars. I'm not like a rigorous, rigorous goal setter. I like to do what I feel is the right thing to be doing at the time. And, and I'm very open to changing, changing my goals around. Um, I'm, I can kind of get very intuitive with myself in terms of what I know feels right to be doing. Um, and that's something that I play to. So yeah, I think when I set a goal, it's because I know that, or I feel like I'm going to get a lot from it. And then it's kind of a goal that probably lines up with my day anyway. So I'm always going to exercise in a day. I'm always going to eat healthy in a day. And so basically the goal will only change how much training I do in a day. And I also pair that up with what's realistic for me. So if, uh, if you've got a particular busy period with work coming up, I know that that's not a good time for me to, to set a new big goal that I need to train more of in my day. But when I can see that the year is going to get quieter or, or I'm on top of things, then I'll, or I'll well, make it this way that I can set a goal that where I know I can put more time into the training but I'm, I'm very much, I don't uh, sort of spontaneously just say, yeah, I'm going to do that. I like to think about it methodically and really feel whether I'm, whether I believe it's the right thing to be doing or whether I believe that I can make myself have the time in order to, to train for it properly. So I would write goals down, but then I might not look at it for another year until I know that the right time has come around to go for it. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think, you know, also you having experience with maybe over um, like setting a goal that's that's too far out in the past or a goal that's too small, but like going through this process of constantly experiencing and, and adapting and then ev eventually like creating and building this intuition um, of understanding yourself, understanding your mindset and your body, I think obviously takes time. You mentioned... Um, you know, like your, your, your goal is going to evolve very much around feeling healthy, injury free and, and having high energy, which probably means that in the past you've experienced the opposite. 
um, where, you know, you wake up and you feel achy and, and super low energy and kind of run down. Um, what was that a result of? Like what, I don't want to say what went wrong, but like, what could you have done maybe better to avoid feeling like that? And would you still have achieved whatever goal you set out, particularly, you know, race related? That's a tough question to answer. Like, would I have ever achieved if I'd gone a different way? I have no idea because we can't run a simultaneous uh, Tom to, to myself, right? So that's hard to know. But for example, like I had an example today. So um, this week has been quite quite busy work week. Uh, today, I thought I might get on the trainer to ride and actually put my kit on. And then I thought, stop, think about how you're feeling. Actually, I don't feel like doing that. I feel like uh, like actually doing nothing. So um, I actually took my kit back off, picked up a book and went and read instead. Whereas in the past, when I have a goal that I know I'm going to do, that's not even a question. I just go and do it. Um, and that's how I got myself to be probably in a little bit of trouble health-wise was because I just wouldn't even give myself a decision. I would go until that I got injured or go until I like broke that I couldn't do any more then I would stop and, and rest. But that rest normally looks like a week long rather than it being an afternoon instead, you know? So, I mean, I'm going to ride my bike tomorrow. I don't need to ride it today. And that's the, the beauty of being able to think more long-term than, uh, than being in such a narrow-minded box of what I wanted to achieve. However, what I wanted to achieve was really hard. There's not many people achieve it. So you're you kind of, you look back at it and you go, I did so many things wrong. But then I also look back and I go, but along the way I achieved some great things. And I don't know whether I could have done that if I hadn't pushed myself to the point where I was. Like we hear, and I believe in this, like recovery is the most important part of your training, which it is for like, for most, well, nearly every athlete, but these guys are able to take care of their rest they still can train three times a day and probably rest more than like the amateur athlete who's working. But if you listen to someone like Michael Phelps, he swam every single day for five years, not one day off, not one. And if you speak to someone like a coach at the moment, who is really rightly to be pushing recovery and saying, you know, we don't always need to do that extra workout, blah, blah, blah. They say, well, you know, if you didn't know it was Michael Phelps and you just said a swimmer swam every day for five years, how do you think he ended up? They probably go, oh, well, he ended up overtrained, burnt out. It was like, no, he became the greatest Olympian that whoever lived. And you can't, I think, judge it. You have to just see what the end result was and then base it off that person. We can't say, okay, person A did this, so person B needs to do it. So I, I don't look back and think I shouldn't have done that because I got myself to a point of, of poor health or injuries. I just think now, okay, I'm no longer trying to achieve that. So I can calm down and it doesn't matter if I don't do a bike session today, I'll do it tomorrow. And that's been a big difference. And that's what I mean by how my goal has, has changed currently is, is I'm trying to fill up my energy tank rather than constantly deplete it, if you like. And how do you apply that approach to like athletes that you work with? So if someone comes to you and says, Hey Tom, like I'm training for X and Y, how should I go about like, or how should you go about train creating their training program? You have to get to know the person, which is tricky. And it's, it, it's a process. So like, I know some athletes 
if they've told me that they're too tired to do the workout or they're feeling tired, I know, right, okay, I need to pull the plug here for two days because they never normally complain. But if you've got an athlete who is quite normal to say, I'm tired or, you know, I don't feel like doing this, then they might actually need a kick to say, you need to do it. Um, and I think that comes with, with uh, experience, for me anyway. Um, and it also comes with an understanding of what's required to meet the goal. So if you come to me and you're training for an Ironman and I say, okay, cool. Some weeks I need you to give me 15 hours of training. Not every week, but some weeks. And when we get to that week, there's no excuses. Are we cool? And there's a yes. And I say, sweet. So please show me how we're going to achieve that 15 hours. Then you normally get a bit of silence and then it's, well, I don't have to work as late this day. Uh, my wife can do the kids drop off on this day and you can start to formulate an idea. Okay. They probably can get 15 hours out of their week here. Um, whereas someone else, they might look at you and go, mm, yeah, probably can't. Okay. So do we need to reframe this goal a little bit and understand what it, what is required? Um, and then it's about, like I said, understanding how this person, how mentally strong they are is one. And also how, how they uh, sort of respond to tough situations because what is tiredness? I don't know. Like you might feel tired in one way and I might feel tired in another way. Um, so it's very interesting to understand. And I love it. I love having clients for a long period of time because the more you get to know them, the more you help them and to understand themselves and the greater, the greater you'll get from them. But the person who understands yourself the most is yourself. Like that's the key to know. So at the end of the day, a coach can tell you to go ride for two hours. And if you really know that you, you really don't want to ride for two hours, you should listen to yourself because there's a reason why your head is telling yourself you don't want to ride for two hours. Interesting. I'm still trying to find that voice myself where it's like where you really understand whether you should, you should do something or not. And for me, it's mainly like listening to my body rather than anything else. Like understanding like, okay, cool. Like I'm feeling a little achy or significantly low on energy. Um, then maybe it's best to, you know, take a break or a breather or like focus on something else, whether it's mobility or whatever. Um, just, just a slight tangent. What got you into coaching? Because obviously like, in my opinion, like you could work then towards becoming a proper professional athlete and making this like really your full-time thing. What made you, you know, focus on coaching in parallel? Yeah. Uh, it's really been a lifelong uh, thing like I learned to coach swimming when I was 17, 16, 17. I was a swim, swim coach for like kids learning to swim. Um, and I just did it as extra money. And then I became a, a, a gym instructor. So I would coach people, I guess you'd call it that, that I would show them gym machines and how to mop them down and, you know, uh, how to find their program that was written on card back in the day out of the filing cabinet and give it back to them and take their blood pressure. Uh, and then from there I became a personal trainer. So I would start to write those programs that were on the cards. And then when I started working in the bike shop, I would see people coming in who were doing endurance, but they might be very weak or in pain. So I'd start working with them through that. And then, yeah, in 2012, I remember taking on my first, first client, my first ever endurance client who was, uh, he was, well, he still is alive, not was, 
um, he's a Welsh farmer and he was, uh, he played rugby and he was actually a prop, which is like the biggest guy on the field. He'd had two knee replacements, but he wanted to do an Ironman in aid of a charity that his wife, um, for an illness that his wife has, has died of. And I mean, it was a dream first client because this guy couldn't ride a bike. He couldn't run. And the doctor told him he shouldn't run and he couldn't swim. And a year and a half later, he completed one of the toughest Ironmans um, on the circuit, which was Ironman Wales. And he did it not because, not because of, uh, of any natural ability of exercise. He did it because his mind was stronger than anything else that was going to stop him. And it was such a lesson. I mean, I would have been 22, 23, and, and he was late, mid to late 40s, I think. Um, and it was such a lesson for, for me as a youngster of like on paper, that guy should not have done that, but he did. And so your mind is, is everything. And, and from that moment, I mean, I've never done anything else. I've just coached. I've always coached, even during my degree, I was coaching. Um, and now, yeah, still coaching. And I, I always will coach. There's, there's no way I'll never not do this. So then, okay. A pretty broad question, which would be like, what are some common mistakes that you see in coaching? today within whether it's the world of training or PT or endurance? Yeah, I think we're in a world now that's accelerated so fast within media. Um, and I think actually people, PTs, I, I can't talk for a lot of them because I, I don't see a lot. I don't go in commercial gyms anymore. I don't really see, but what I look, what I see online is um, PTs think they know it all. So they, they, we have access to so much more information but that it's actually very little of that information is evidence-based. And so they see, you know, some bloke online with 50,000 followers doing something stupid on a, on a Swiss ball or, or doing something that, that could potentially harm an athlete who isn't ready to do that. And they think that that's how they should be training people. Um, they we sort of call it uh, sweeping the sheds where you're like, you're learning from the ground up and you're not too good for anything. Um, you, I'm not sure how much we see of that anymore. And I think it comes from this uh, like instant gratification. So like, I'm going to become a trainer and I'm going to change people's lives. And it's like, that's, that's not how it works. Like you're going to become a trainer and you're going to wipe down some machines for, for five hours a day, six days a week. And then you're going to show people around the gym and you're going to watch other people go to other more experienced trainers and you're going to watch them and go, why haven't they not come to me? And it's because you're too young. You don't know how to approach people and you've, you've missed the, the point of connection that these people are looking for and you're going to slowly learn and learn and learn. And we just don't have that these days or, or from what I see. Um, and then there's also, I don't think many trainers now or, or coaches who get into coaching have like a long-term vision of what they want to achieve. So they think they'll get into it because they've seen someone else who's maybe a bit older than them living a good life, coaching people. They think, oh, I'll have a go at that but they don't actually realize what they could achieve and what they want to achieve with it. And I saw that when I was in university, I went older as an older student. I was 25. I'd already been working for six years as a trainer. And I, I honestly, I did this the other day as an exercise. I went onto my LinkedIn and I had a look at who I was in uni with, who was at the time 18, 19, 20, who was still working within the business. And, and honestly, it surprised me. I think there's maybe out of like the 20 connections that I have from my class, 
four people are doing something with their degree, which is so bad, but you could see it was going to happen when they were studying it. Um, so yeah, I think people probably don't quite understand what they can do with the role of being a coach or a, or a trainer. And so they do it, they do things that they're seeing. They don't take care to make sure it's evidence-based and they, they want too much too soon with it. Whereas you look at the, the best trainers are the ones that we call lifelong trainers. So they, they will do it for the rest of their lives. You can't imagine them doing anything else. And they've all been through a period where they thought, this isn't quite what I signed up for, but they stuck at it because they're very passionate about it. Yeah, I can see a lot of people being in a, in a rush, I suppose, which, uh, I mean, you're, you're the, the best possible case study of someone who's been through so many different stages and it's taken time to get where you are today, right? It's not a overnight success story. And I think there's a lot of humility involved, a lot of open-mindedness, a lot of willingness to fail and learn, which, um, which you don't see very often anymore. And that brings me to, you know, if you're someone who wants to, whatever, get fit, wants to start running and wants to find a trainer or a coach that can help them, how do you envision someone going about making that decision? Like, how do you find the right coach for you, given that there's so many people out there now that, you know, are pretending, I suppose? I think the number one thing, there's, there's two things to start with, and they're both from a different angle. But number one is you absolutely need a coach that you respect. Because by having a coach you respect, you will you will get the full amount from from the coach, but you'll also get the full amount from yourself. And the people tend to come off coaches when they lose respect for them. And, and I don't know why that might be, but there's you know when you have respect for someone and you know when you don't. So I would definitely choose someone that you respect and look up to as a person and as an athlete and as a as a coach. The other one is to know yourself. And I think you should know whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. And introverted people, they take energy from when they're on their own. And those kind of people, they need a coach who will talk to them in a very nice mannered way. They don't treat them like they're soldiers. Uh, they treat them like they're there to help them as their friend. And when you talk to a coach, you'll understand whether they have the ability to be able to do that or not. The, if you're an extroverted people, which means you like being around people, your favorite session of the week is, is like our Track Tuesday session where there's 50 people running around you. Uh, then you're going to want to look not so much, you, you want to look for a coach, but you want to look at where that coach works from and what sort of community they have. Because if you're quite extroverted and you have a group around you, when you don't feel like doing something, the group will pick you up. If you're introverted, and you don't feel like doing something, the coach is there to pick you up. It might simply be a WhatsApp message. I don't feel up to, up to it today, coach. Okay, why not? What are you feeling? I'm feeling a bit tired. I'm not sure whether I can do this workout. Okay, well, you've done this workout before. Why do you think you're feeling a bit tired? I have a busy day on it with work. Okay, no worries. Let's just take off two intervals and you're definitely going to smash it. Like an introverted person will feel amazing to hear that. Whereas an extroverted person will be, don't worry, mate. Once you get there and the group starts, it'll all kick in and you'll be fine. So when you're looking for a coach, just see what they have. Like some people, like for me, I'm quite introverted. So I've worked with coaches in the past who I've never actually met. We've worked via email and via like Zoom call like this or simply through training peaks. They've been in America. 
because I don't need the the group or not so much. Whereas other people, they would hate that. They have to be able to see the coach and, and be with the group. So understand yourself first and then understand what the gro- what the coach has to offer and speak to them and ask them tons of questions because you'll very much learn then if you respect them or not. And then see how it goes. Also ask other people, you know, references are, are a great place to start big time to find out who yeah. to go to and who not to as well. Yeah. And I think there's so much information available to us nowadays, whether it's with, you know, whether it's through friends, but also whether it's through reviews or online or whatever it may be. So I think um, com- combine that with all the advice you just gave, it's probably a very good starting point to find your coach. The introverted, extroverted point, I've, I've never really thought about. That's that's a really, really interesting point because I, I definitely love um, being around people, and I've grown up in a, I've grown up with coaches. I mean, with with tennis, who would yell at me, you know, and like, and they would basically like start yelling and saying, um, saying get it together and that sort of stuff uh, with with a lot of swear words mixed in between. And, uh, and that would work for me. And I think as soon as I started going to certain classes, uh, fitness classes, and, and, and the approach was, was much more subtle and much kinder, I was like, this doesn't work for me at all. Like, why is no one yelling at me right now? Um, and so I think that's an interesting point. And, and the respect part is also very, um, very accurate. Like, I, I realized that I respected all my coaches whether it's coaches that I've consciously picked or not, I've respected them. And that one, you know, you'll listen to them, obviously. Um, And two, it almost gives you this, not fear to make sure that you do your sessions, but like you want to do it for them, right? Like you feel accountable. If you don't respect your coach, you'll easily skip out on a few things here and there. Absolutely. And you can see this in kids the most. And I even think back to my rugby days when... You know, we were under 11s, let's say, and we had three coaches actually. And I remember two I respected and one I didn't. And when the one that you didn't respect said something, even when you're 11, you don't care and you don't do it. But the one you respect says to do something, you don't even question it. And it's not a fear thing. It's a case of you want to work for them. Yeah, totally. So let's talk about some misconceptions. I, um, you know, you, you see a lot of information out there. Um, a lot of it you can trust, a lot of it you can't. When we are talking about running and when we're talking about endurance racing, and you can combine the two or you could separate the two however you please, what are some common misconceptions, whether it's to do with, um, you know, the impact on your body or the impact on your mind or whatever else that you want to share? Yeah. Um I think the first one is that that endurance training is is good for weight loss and good for um, good for being healthy because that's not true. Like it can be a hundred percent, it can be, but there's some you can build some really bad habits around it, um, which obviously leads to leads to more than you know an ideal um, health situations. And you've probably seen it, unfortunately. You've, you've seen the people, maybe they're running on the beach track or they're riding and, you know, I, I've had it with clients. They've started endurance training and they maybe they've put on five, six kilos and, and they don't understand why. And it can be very common because you have a, 
you think, oh, well, I'm exercising a lot. So therefore I need to eat a lot and it doesn't matter what I eat. And it doesn't matter. You know, I have to wake up early because we live in the UAE and it's really hot outside. So I'm not getting my sleep. Um, and that is a problem. And I see we get people who come because they think it's a healthier lifestyle to lead. And it's not always you have to change in other areas first. So nutrition and sleep are the biggest factors for your health over exercise. Um, and, and it's been shown in studies that people who are active, who, who will say to you, no, I don't exercise, but they might walk three miles a day to a shop and they might whatever work on a farm and, and they will be in much better cardiovascular condition than the ones who go to the gym, you know, for one hour a day or, um, or ride their bike on weekends and things like that. So hundred percent first is don't go pretending that you, you're, you're being healthy just through endurance exercise. It's, it's not the case, unfortunately. Um, the other one is that it's bad for you. <laughs> so I've said two, two complete polar opposites, but, um, like running is bad for your knees, for example, like that's not true. It depends how you run is, is whether you're going to hurt your knees or not. So, um, that is a complete misconception. Uh, there, there's kind of no, um, there's no way of like, anyone can just go run. There's no barrier to entry. And so people who just get up and go and run and don't educate themselves on how to run properly, you're going to hurt your knees. But if you're learning how to run well, and you're learning that what a, what a four foot strike is versus a heel strike, um, and run cadence and you become like a student of the game, if you like, uh, then you're actually going to be, it's going to be healthier for your knees. So I think they're two quite big misconceptions. And I think the other one is that to be with an endurance athlete, you need to keep always doing more. And, and that's not true. Like you, you obviously do first run race, which you'll do is a 5k. Then you do a 10k, then you do a half marathon. And then to be a real runner, you then have to do a marathon. And it's like, okay, if you do the 5k and you've had the time of your life, then you do the 10k and you thought, well, that was quite long. You do a 21k and you're miserable. Please go back to doing the 5k. You're still an endurance runner. You're still going to get as much benefits as the people who are doing the marathons, but you're actually enjoying what you do. Like it's not a never ending journey of who can go the furthest. Like that, that is a big one. And some people say, oh, I don't want to get into endurance because where does it end? And it's like, well, it ends with you being really happy with your life. Hopefully <laughs> it might not totally. be the case, but that's, that's how it should end. So they're probably a few bigger misconceptions, but I'm also in the bubble of like endurance is amazing. So I'd be interested to know what you hear about endurance training. Um, and maybe I can help answer. Yeah. I mean, firstly, just to address a few of the things you said, uh, and I'll ask follow-up questions after we kind of close this. Um, but yeah, these are things that I hear, what you've mentioned are things that I hear all the time. Running is bad for you um, or bad for your knees is something that you hear way more than we should. Um, I've also, I mean, just because I'm kind of obsessed with, with longevity and, and anti-aging to whatever degrees, you know, you hear a lot about endurance being detrimental to longevity. Um, but again, you know, you look at some, you look at some 80 year olds and 90 year olds, uh, running, running triathlons and running marathons. And you still have to question that. I think it's still extremely subjective and not, not studied well enough, um, especially if they're doing it right. You know, like if you're nailing sleep combined with your nutrition, combined with like 
running, cycling, swimming the right amount of volume for your body and recovering well and whatever else, then I don't see that really impacting you in a negative way. Um, so yeah, I think one question that I had for you was when you sit with a client, do you then give them this holistic approach? Like, do you, um, obviously one, give them a training program, but do you tell them you need to sleep X amount of hours or you need to eat this, or is it not really to that detail? Because I feel like it's tough to, um, it's tough for someone from the outside to give someone else that advice, right? Like if I'm a, if I'm a vegan and you're going to tell me, well, you need to get more protein in through, you know, X, Y, and Z, I'm just going to be like, listen, that's not, that's not what I'm trying to do. Or if I'm, you know, feeling perfect on seven hours of sleep and you're telling me to sleep eight or nine, then again, it doesn't, it kind of defeats the purpose. So how do you go about that? Yeah, I think, uh, again, it's a, it's a process. We are big on sharing information. We, uh, we have a podcast as well within in the fight endurance. So we get on a lot of guests and we make it purposeful. So we get on experts within protein. We get on experts within sleep. We get on experts around psychology of, of running. We get on experts of running. And so we have a lot of information to share to people. And then it's about having open lines of communication and being able to review performances and help the person to understand what happened. So you had a weekend long ride. It went badly. Let's look at why. How did you sleep Thursday night? Not good. Okay. How did you sleep Friday night? Yeah, not great either. Cool. Where can we get more sleep? And, and how can we get better at that? Yeah, but normally I'm good on seven hours of sleep. Okay. But normally you're not riding a long ride, but now you want to achieve a goal that, that needs you to ride a long ride then maybe a little bit more sleep is needed. Some people say, oh, I, if I sleep too much, I wake up with a headache. It's like, no, you probably went to bed dehydrated. So how can we get you to, to drink a little bit more through your day that then means that you, when you go to sleep, you're not being waking up because you need to pee, but then you also don't wake up dehydrated. So actually what you're doing in the first half of your Friday is going to dictate how the first half of your Saturday goes. And then we start to build this whole bigger picture that we, we, we would use the word holistic because we're not saying it's one thing. We start to build this much bigger picture around it. So on Sundays, you don't drink enough or eat enough after your big long runs or long ride on, on Saturdays. And that affects your Monday workout, which then affects your Tuesday workout. So let's fix those things if you want to. It's up to you. And then we'll get better performance. But until we fix the basics then we won't get the fancy things that you came to me for. So that's probably how I would approach it is, is I look at the data that I'm receiving back from people from their training logs and then spark up a conversation um, based around something that I might see or that I commonly see can go wrong. Yeah. And I think, you know, the more we speak about this, the more I'm, I'm like, it's so important to focus on all aspects. And that's why like now with, with my training, I'm, I, I've become very obsessive uh, in a way, which is, which is good and bad, but like looking at data, looking at like getting my mobility in on a daily basis, like looking at running technique, looking at nutrition properly, hydration properly, uh, recovery properly in all aspects, right? I know that you take something like unbroken for instance, which, which I started taking pretty religiously. And it's just, it's these little tweaks here and there, and then understanding the results before you run, after you run, during your run, um, to see if and how it works. 
do you do you follow any um, dietary guidelines yourself? So one, I want to just understand from your end your your nutrition and also your your sleep. Given that it's you as Tom and not something that you necessarily recommend everyone to do. Sure. Um, yeah, sleep wise, the I'm pretty. I'm lucky that um, my girlfriend is also you know really fit and into into high performance as well. So we're both really happy going to bed at 8.30. Um, and we pretty much do that every night, even on weekends. Like if you try and get me to stay up past nine, I'll, I'll either be the worst company you've ever had or I'll be asleep. So we're pretty much going to bed at 8.30 and nine every night and then wake up some days uh, anywhere from 4.30 to 5.30 is, is when I'm waking up. Uh, and that's pretty natural. And then a big, big part of my day is I wake up and I immediately go downstairs. I drink water and then I let my dog out and we go for a walk for 10, 20 minutes. And I don't have a phone with me. I have nothing except the dog. And so I'm like assessing how the temperature feels, how I feel. Uh, and it's like some people like to meditate first thing in the morning. Some people like to read. Like for me, that's, that's how I start every day is it's just me and the dog and um and i love that and that's kind of a bit how from growing up in the middle of nowhere um but that's how much how i used to start the days back then and and i like that to have now even though living in one of the craziest cities in the world it's still a little bit of like okay this is this is me time so i do that and then my diet is not in any way based around uh, a fad if you like um one of the biggest things for me is I try and be within a, a calorie neutral or surplus. So like my body type is an ectomorph. So, I mean, I, if I go on holiday, I'll probably lose weight. Most people gain it. I like, I'll lose it. So, and I'm also like, I've been working. I worked out the other day for the last five years on average, I've trained 12 hours and 40 minutes every week. So my body is constantly breaking down and building up, breaking down and building up. So the most important thing for me doesn't matter if it's coming in in vegan foods, vegetarian, meat, doesn't matter. As long as I'm staying on top of my calories, I'll feel okay or have a bit more. And that, that will change as I get older and change as I train less. But that's just my situation at the moment. The minute I go a day and I might miss a meal or, or undercut my calories by more than 10%, I'll feel awful. So that's the first point I get to. Um, and then I've really focused on high protein and you mentioned unbroken and that's a great way of getting in amino acids without having to eat a lot. Um, so I take unbroken in the mornings as well. And then I fuel my exercise. So I, I use carbohydrates as uh, as fuel, which is what it is. Um, I've never done low carb. I've tried it and it, it's terrible for me. Um, so I've never even tried to stick with it. I use carbs as fuel. So I'll eat a little something before exercise and I'll definitely eat um, a good amount after exercise. And then something I've done for the last few years, which, which has been a big one for me is I never binge eat and I'm quite religious on that. So like I would used to, let's say uh, if you bought me a pack of cookies or biscuits or whatever, I would eat a lot. And I had this mentality of until it was finished and out of the house, I'm going to still eat it. So why don't I just eat it all now? And I've changed that a lot. So I don't binge eat. Um, like 
I can have a little bit of something and be cool with it now. It didn't used to be that way, but that's one thing. So like my approach to food, if you like, has changed, not necessarily the food itself. And then I also, I drink like six liters of water a day. Like that's a complete non-negotiable. I drink six liters of water. And if I don't, I know I haven't, I feel pretty terrible for it. So I do that. And then I also like to understand ingredients. So I'll eat whatever, but if I understand the ingredients, I can make a better informed choice. So I don't eat fast food because I don't really understand the ingredients. Um, I understand that it tastes good, but I don't know what's in it. So I don't eat it. Um, but all of the foods that I understand, whether it's really healthy for you, um, we naturally have healthier food. Like we'll, we'll eat, um, we are actually on a meal plan, but a few days we don't get the meal plan because we purposely want to cook for ourselves. We'll cook like salmon or steak and always have a lot of vegetables, always have salad. And we actually enjoy eating that. Um, but it's because of the principle that we're following, not because of a, a set diet. So we, we're not going to get stuff that we don't understand the ingredients on because we don't want to eat that. So when we, and I had someone the other day asking me for like real specific foods and I'm like, you know how many foods there are in the world? <laughs> it's crazy. Just try to build principles and then you'll be able to, to go food shopping better or order better, you know? Um, so yeah, maybe not the, the normal answer that, that you want or anyone who's trying to sell a cookbook, but that's kind of what I stick to. No, I like it. I like it a lot. And I think a couple of things that stood out to me is one, uh, the hydration piece. Like if you're, if you're drinking six liters a day, I was, I was always under the impression that like daily requirements are much lower. Obviously you're, you're somewhat of an outlier given how much you exercise, because I know that, you know, per 15 minutes of exercise, you need X amount of X amount of water. I had a call earlier today with, with a company called Bionic and Bionic, basically what they do is they, um, they take a blood test, understand everything that's in your body. Based on that, they create a supplement for you to, um, to make it as personalized as possible, which I think is a fantastic plan and, and something that's very important. Then when you have those results, you speak to someone uh, in the Bionic team and they'll help you understand the results. And one of the things that, that stood out that she said to me, she's asked me, she's like, how much water do you drink? Because we, I think that you're dehydrated. I was like, I drink like three liters a day. She's like, it's not enough. Like if you're exercising an hour, hour and a half a day uh, and you weigh X amount and you know your metabolism and whatever else, uh, she's like, you need to be at a minimum of four and a half. And I was stunned. I was like four and a half because I consider myself very well hydrated. I feel like I'm always drinking water, but it's just not the case. So I think it's something that people don't think about enough. Um, and that's something that's extremely important. And I think the second thing around, you know, the fad diet thing, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting topic. I had someone on the show who wrote a book called Eat to Beat Disease. And he basically scientifically studied 200 foods and their impact, their healthy impact on you. And imagine, he was like, if you just scroll to the back of the book, look at these 200 ingredients. He was like, pick anything, eat it, it's fine. Um, I think we overthink it a lot of the time. Um, and my last, my last rule is, if you can't pronounce one of the ingredients, it's probably not good for you. So it's essentially very simple, right? Like eat a lot of vegetables. Um, for me as well, like I'm not low carb at all. Like I'm, I'm six foot seven, I'm skinny and I've always worked out. Like I, I need, I, I, I actually just need it. 
And I've tried the same thing as you. Like I was off it for a while and I just felt horrible. Um, But eat a lot of greens, eat a lot of veggies, drink a lot of water. um, And I think if you, and then, you know, skip the processed foods and whatever else. And I think then you're in a very, you're in a very, very good position. I feel like people overcomplicate it a lot, which is, um, which is not the right move. People are so confused. Like some clients who I work with, they don't even know what hungry feels like. I'm like, hunger is a signal to start preparing to eat. It doesn't mean immediately go and eat something bad, you know, but it's a sign. And if you're not getting the obvious sign of, of hunger and satisfaction of after eating a meal, then it's far past what you're eating. It's, it's to do with your mindset and it's to do with discipline, you know? Like I, I've never worked in an office, thankfully. I've never ever worked in an office, but from what I hear in some offices, it's just an absolute pot of chaos. <laughs> There's food everywhere. You know, you're, you're eating, you're constantly grazing between meals. No wonder you don't feel hungry when you sit down to have dinner, but then you're getting a craving last thing before you go, go to bed and you end up eating the chocolate again. And it's, it's very similar to, to hydration, mate, which is if you can understand compounding effect of things. So if you, if you bang hard enough on a window, it won't break first time, but it will eventually break. And it's a compounding stress. And it's the same thing. If you're, if you're eating a one bad meal, do not stress. But if it becomes a habit and it compounds over time, then it's going to become a problem. And that's why people say, oh, do you have a cheat day? And it's like, no, I don't. But I just eat what I want when I feel like it. I'm, I'm lucky that I love good food. But for some people, they have to have that discipline of a, of a cheat day because if they didn't, they would constantly eat bad food. And I get it. And it's like water. Like We're not hydrating today for today. We're hydrating today for what you did yesterday and what you're going to do tomorrow. And we live in a desert when it's really hot outside and we're living inside where there's air con, which dehydrates you. And so if you lived anywhere else, mate, you probably would be very well hydrated, but we don't, we live in a desert, which we're trying to stay cool indoors with. And so that over the time you're going to get dehydrated, not because of exactly what you're doing right now, but because of the environment that you're lived in, not just for this week, but what you've lived in for years as well. And when you understand what the compounding effect is, then you understand what sort of changes you can make and also what kind of errors you can make. Because we, we're all going to make errors. We all have margin for error. Um, but when you, yeah, like I say, compounding effect is a very powerful thing to, to understand. Yeah, totally. And you make a few good points there. I think people are not used to being hungry and they're very uncomfortable being hungry. I, I mean, I intermittent fast and I like I'm almost used to being hungry and like there's huge advantages to it. Um, but at the same time, I think this instant gratification thing is, um, is really detrimental for us because then you go from like being, being hungry to overeating, which is, which even if you're overeating healthy food, it's still not good for you. Right. So, so finding a fine balance there and, and, and thinking long-term, like you said, that your the fuel that you're putting into your body today, whether it's food or, uh, or water, is is to replenish from yesterday for today and to get ready for tomorrow and day after. That's something that I'm definitely going to keep in mind. Um, where where do you see, not just with nutrition, and this might be a broad question, but like where do you see issues with people staying consistent with training or with food or with 
whatever it is. And it might be different answers. Yeah, I see it everywhere. <laughs> I see <laughs> I see a lack of consistency in in the things that people find hard. And I see too much consistency in what people find easy. Uh, it's tricky. I think you have to you have to recognize it in yourself. Like it's it's strange. I see it in myself. Let's say, uh, let's say I'm in in work or I'm in a public bathroom and I I clean my hands and I throw the tissue towards the bin and it doesn't go in. And I'm like, I'd be happy to walk off now. Someone's going to pick it up. And I go, nope. Turn around and pick it up. Put it in the bin. And I'm like, damn, I was really close to being consistently comfortable there, you know. And that I think people don't call themselves out on their own bullshit. And so you're consistently getting away with stuff that you shouldn't be in. And it starts with not putting a paper towel in a bin and it ends with you, you know, forgetting to do something major on a project. So you've got to be consistently disciplined with yourself, 100%. And if you're not, you know when you're not. Like, I think only you know when you're not being consistent with something, especially around discipline. And then there's, there's a lack of it a lack of consistency and appreciation, I think. And this comes back to the compounding effect. There's, there's a lack of appreciation to what consistency can do. And if you consistently go and run every morning for 30 minutes for six weeks, you will get fitter than you'd ever realize. But you think, and rightly, you know, because it's way more fun and way more interesting to do, you need to do an interval run, a tempo run, and a long run both will get you to where you want to go but consistency works but it's not it's not amazing it's not fun so if you can understand how 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 strong like how powerful consistency is or you doing something consistently how powerful that is then you're going to respect it a lot more and and do the right things consistently and cut out doing the wrong things we mix up training because we find consistency boring. Like, oh, I consistently train. Okay, you might, but what does your consistency of training look like? Do you consistently put in the low aerobic work? Do you consistently put in the rehab work that keeps you running? That people don't quite understand how that works. Um, and yeah, I think a simple, a simple test for yourself is, is consistently wake up and drink two glasses of water. Do it every day for a month and see how you feel at the end. And then when you miss yeah. that, you'll you'll know you've missed it because you won't feel you yeah. won't feel good. And if you want to know the power of consistency with one of the most simple substances on earth, give it a go. Like if you now consistently drink five liters of water a day, you're gonna feel the the impact. But if you consistently don't, you're also gonna feel the impact. So it's it's both everywhere and it's a both a lack of. And it's both too much. So yeah, yeah, that's how I see it. Yeah, I see it the same. And I think, you know, two points to just add on top of that. I think people are, um, they, they don't enjoy discomfort, right? They enjoy comfort. So pushing, pushing yourself is, um, it's never easy and doing it consistently. So is even harder. And I think to kind of mitigate that, like you just have to set smaller goals for yourself. So you know, you don't have to go from drinking 
one glass of water a day to drinking five liters a day, go to two glasses, like you said, and just do that consistently every day. And it's one of the most achievable habits out there, right? Like it's not something that's going to take a lot of time, nor effort, nor money. So if if you can find little goals that hit all three of those things, um, by all means, do it. How do you... Um, how do you stay consistent when things get hard? So when you have to wake up at a certain time, I mean, for you, obviously, like it, it comes natural at this point, but we can take different examples of, you know, you training and, and things getting really difficult. Like what's the inner dialogue like? Um, I'm really good at saying no. Um, and that, that kind of creates... Uh... It kind of, I guess it creates selfishness, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. So like, I'll be consistent because I set my days up to be consistent. So my calendar is planned a week ahead and very little will disturb it in that way. So I say no, because it's for the better of me, which in turn is what's important to my clients and my colleagues and my family. Um, if you say yes to lots of random things, then you're never going to get consistent. It's just uh, the nature of it. And some people will re- work really well just saying yes to everything and spontaneously dotting around. But if you want to get to big goals, then you have to be selfish with it. Um, and then I also don't do what doesn't excite me. Because if you're excited to do it, you'll do it and you'll be consistent. But if it doesn't excite you, don't do it. And I think that's another place social media comes into play is you know, so-and-so is doing this, blah, blah, blah is doing that, blah, blah is doing that. I'm not doing anything. And it's like, okay, but what are you excited about? I don't really know. Well, then don't complain you're not doing anything. You're not excited about anything. Like, get excited. It should be fun. Like, you should look at it and be scared, number one, but also be excited to to go and do it. And, and when you get that, whatever you find that that is, you'll be consistent, 100%. I see it with athletes a lot. They they're training for a 10 K. What's your goal? Oh, I just like to finish. Okay. They'll, they'll maybe be 70%. Um, like let's say green on training peaks. Or if I say to them, okay, 10 K sweet. What's, what's your goal? I want to go under 42 minutes. Okay. You nervous? Yeah. You excited? Yeah. Sweet. Let's make sure we nail these runs. They'll nearly always be more consistent with their training because they've got a little bit of pressure on themselves, but they're also excited to try something new. So I know for myself, if I'm not excited for it, I'm not going to learn anything from it, then I'm probably not going to do it. And therefore, I don't have to worry whether I'll be consistent or not. Yeah, that makes total sense. I want to just ask you, you know, last few, uh, last few questions uh, before we wrap up. And uh, mainly looking at runs and triathlons, what are some common mistakes people make when preparing for longer races and predominantly from like more like a rookie standpoint, I suppose, not something that people would do at your level. Yeah. Um, well, I think at any level people overtrain, um, and overtraining is a combination of many things. Overtraining can be undersleeping, can be underfueling, and it can be doing too much exercise. So they, they both work against each other. Do you know, when you're overtraining, you, you don't feel like you have any energy at any point during the day, you become quite negative in your mindset. Um, so, okay, I don't feel overtrained because my legs aren't sore. Okay, but you just told most of your colleagues to F off and you're writing emails in a really shitty tone. <laughs> like, do you think maybe you're a bit overtrained? No, my legs aren't sore. 
okay, you're being quite defensive in this conversation. Like <laughs> overtraining isn't just about your body. It's it, your mind is giving you signals as well. So that's a sign. And I see it a lot. Um, I think to hit on the point again about underfueling, um, when your body is doing something new, your body is racking up miles and the compounding effect is taking place. You, you can't afford to miss a day of nutrition. It's, it's really, really important because, because the key thing of it is it affects your sleep. And once you start to miss sleep, that affects all other areas of your life. So something is better than nothing when it comes to nutrition, if you're training a lot. Um, and then poor mindset, which hopefully this show has helped people to, to understand a little bit of mindset changes you can make. But I think the, the mindset these days is rushed. Like we all imagine ourselves at the end of the race, running through the finish line, but we don't imagine what we're going to do when it gets hard. And and how we're going to respond to things when it gets hard. And I use another example of like Michael Phelps, because I'm currently rereading his coach's book, um, Bob Bowman's Rules for Life. But he would do things like tread on his goggles before he was about to jump in the pool. So they'd leak. So they prepared for every single situation that could go wrong. Positive mindset is one thing, but if you ignore what could possibly go wrong, because you don't want to be in a negative mindset, you're going to set yourself up for a really tough point when that, when that race comes around or even when more than likely when the training comes around. So I think there's, there's three key things there, overtraining, underfueling, and, and poor mindset. And you can, all those things are fixed through yourself. It's not, it's not anyone else. It's not anyone else's fault. It's really down to you, the athlete, to figure those out. And it's okay to ask for help on any three of them. And that's what a coach should be able to help you with. And if a coach can't, they can outsource you to someone who can. Yeah, that's key. What are some reasons that people should give endurance racing a shot? So many. Um, you will learn, if you're open to it, you will learn so much about yourself. And you will become better at life for it, 100%. Um, if you're clever with what races you choose, you're going to see the world like these ultra races or triathlons, long distance stuff is in some incredible places of the world. And so you can actually, you can go and explore and you can really understand different cultures through it as well. So I would do it for that reason. And then also at the moment, we're in a, an amazing uh, sort of changing of culture around endurance, if you like. Um, I think you know, the, there's been a, such a big uh, light shone on mental health around the world over the last set of 10 years. And what we're seeing in the endurance world in terms of helping research and helping people express themselves and helping people feeling comfortable in their own skin, like, I don't think you'll find another community doing as much as, as the endurance one, to be honest. So you can be part of a life-changing culture if you choose to. I love those. I love those reasons. I would add to that and say also just from a community standpoint, um, you start forming, especially at a place, you know, like Inner Fight or, uh, or other places doing something similar, like you start building bonds with people that are so strong and friendships that you never knew you would create. And even, you know, during the race itself, 
you meet people and 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 people who help you on your way. Um, I'm sure that you've had experiences with maybe, you know, you not being able to finish a race and someone just comes behind you and says, oh, you got this, you know, little things like that. Uh, I know I have for sure. And it's, and it's been, uh, it's, it's surreal, but it's, um, it's a beautiful community to be a part of. The, the last question I have is if someone is listening to this today and says, okay, you know what, I'm going to try and run my first 5k or my first 10k, or my first half or full marathon. What are some initial steps or some, you know, key pieces of advice that you would give them um, to uh, to start off? I mean, it so much depends on on the situation, right? So the, the background of the person, uh, where they're going to do it, like what the first place, go and get your health checked. Uh, go and find out like what your heart's doing, whether you've got an irregular arrhythmia or whether you're all good to go. I would, I would honestly do that. Um, because you never know, right? In this day and age. So go and do that. And then, yeah, figure out what's going to get you excited to do it. And then there's so many programs out there, like tons. You could Google free couch to 5K program and you will have it. You can print it out and you can stick it on your fridge. If you're, like we talked about, someone who's quite introverted, you're self-driven, that's all all you need to do. Just go and get started on it. Um, And then listen to your body you're going to have some aches and pains. If they're more than a, a sort of three out of 10 on the pain scale, go and get some help. Um, go and get some uh, some advice maybe, or go see a physio or a running coach. Um, if you're someone who prints out that program, sticks on the fridge, and then three days later ignores it, you sounds like you need a community. Go and find, you know, we're in, I think even in Dubai, there's maybe five or six running communities. It doesn't need to be in a fight. There's a lot out there. Um, but if you are in Dubai and you want to get into it, we have both a couch to 5k program and we have an amazing running community. So we would more than welcome you into that. The, the other thing I think is to understand your why, which we haven't actually spoken about on this show, but, um, if you know why you're running it, then the rest will, will pretty much take care of itself. But if you don't know why you're just doing it, figure it out. <laughs> Or ask someone else, yeah. why do you think I'm doing this? And they might help you if you're not sure of the answer. That's so true. Like, because I I remember having training sessions for my marathon where it was like a Saturday morning in the Dubai summer and I had to run 30K. And if you don't have that why in you, you're, you're probably going to skip that session for starters. Um, and then you're probably going to half-ass the actual race, which which yeah to your point is it's so crucial to figure that out because also once you're in the race itself and you're hitting a wall understanding your why is going to get you through it and um and i now know that with my 100k i mean i've heard horror stories from you know 99 of the people who've run one saying listen you're not this is going to be the biggest struggle you've ever faced in your life like it's not something that is easy to do um and you need to be mentally and physically completely prepared uh, because you're going to hit walls several times. It's not just going to be one. And, uh, you know, and to, to just go back on an earlier point you made on, you know, if you've run 5K and you love it and you try 10K and you hate it and go back to 5K. For me, it was like, I ran the 42K and I was like, I need to do 100. Like, I got to do 100. So for me, that's, you know, and then I started figuring out bigger reasons of why I wanted to do it. Um, and I think then you become relatively unstoppable, right? Because then everything everything starts making sense. 
Yeah, um, you become resilient. Like that's a huge buzzword yeah. at the moment, but it's one of the truth, truest ones in endurance is resilience. You can have all sorts of barriers thrown at you, but you still find a way to keep moving forward. And, and that's a great lesson. And that's why you really can become better at life through endurance because you, you become so much more resilient and robust. And you'll only understand that when it happens to you. Yeah. And also, I mean, what I've realized personally is, is when you start training uh, for endurance races and you start running, like all the other problems in your life become so manageable, right? Like all the little things that used to piss you off or like used to annoy you or like you found intimidating or whatever else. Like once you start really training and putting in the work and, uh, and doing hard things, you start becoming better at life. And I think that's probably uh, a big reason for your slogan is like everything else just becomes so much more manageable. Absolutely. And on our, on our ultra camps, I know the guys, Marcus and Rob Jones, they will do things to piss people off to figure out, to figure out where their mindset is at. Because for example, in MDS, you're sharing a tent with six other people. Like one of them is going to leave their socks, stinking stock, sock next to your head. And you know, the ones who can laugh and shrug it off, they're number one, wasting less energy. And number two, their mindset is so much better. And yeah, ultra is not just about gritting your teeth and, and showing no weakness, which is another one of our slogans. It's about understanding the mindset needed for that particular moment to take on that particular barrier that has been shown in front of you. Normally it's to relax and figure it out away without animosity. I like that. I like that a lot. For everyone listening, please check out Inner Fight uh, and please check out Tom Walker. We'll we'll disclose all the links so that you guys can have a look. If you're in Dubai, especially, um, you know they welcome you guys with open arms. But you know, come with a challenge. Come prepared. Um, don't just rock up without any sort of idea of what you're getting into. Um, they're amazing. They're very serious and they're super capable of uh, of handling whatever goals you guys may have. Tom. Thank you so much for uh, for being here today, man. Really appreciate it. Mate, my pleasure. Thank you.